Okay, well, you can, uh, before we start, just turn your Bibles. We're going to be in First uh, Peter chapter 2, if you have those. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 4 is where we'll start, but let me uh, begin with prayer. Uh, Lord, uh, we are uh, just in awe of who you are, that you are the magnificent God, uh, the one who creates, uh, the one who sustains, the one who saves, uh, and this is the God who has spoken to us uh, through your word. And so now as we come to this uh, passage uh, today, we pray that you would speak uh, to us and uh, through me. We pray that you would uh, just let all the uh, things that are not from you fall away and those that are from you to stay. We pray that you would open our eyes to see uh, the greatness of you as revealed here in this text today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so for, before we begin, I want to uh, tell you a little bit about uh, a show I was watching with my uh, kids the other day. Uh, some of you maybe know who James May is. Uh, James May was a uh, TV presenter on like Top Gear, Grand Tour, Car Show. Uh, but he also is kind of like a weird, quirky guy that likes lots of other things. So he has another show that's on Amazon Prime uh, where he basically just does whatever he wants uh, and just does weird things. And uh, one of these episodes, he decided he would like to build a full-sized Lego house. So I think we have a picture of it up on the screen. Uh, there it is. It's a two-story house that he went and built. Uh, it it was 3.3 million uh, Lego bricks. It was basically like four like big shipping containers full of Lego bricks. Uh, they got over 2,000 people to come and help them to basically build these squares and to stack them all up. Uh, he hired an engineer, hired interior designers, so that all the furniture inside the house is Lego. Lego toothbrush, Lego sink, you know, Lego chairs and beds, Lego slippers, which were uncomfortable apparently. Uh, so. It's a totally Lego house, uh, and it's and it's cool. It's it's great, but you you know they you know they ask him on the show like, James, why did you build this house? And it wasn't because he wanted to live in it or anything like that. He spent a night in it just for the show, but it wasn't for anything. He just like I just wanted to do it. I didn't have a purpose. I just I wanted to build this house. I thought it'd be cool. And so he didn't really have a a goal, a purpose in mind for the building of this house. Uh, but what we're going to see today in our text is that God is also building a house. Uh, but God has a purpose for his house. Uh, there is a purpose and a goal and an aim that he has in mind. Uh, so we're going to look through this text. There's going to be two points, if you like taking notes. Uh, the two points are this, that God's people are built on Jesus uh, and that God's people have a purpose. God's people are built on Jesus. God's people have a purpose. Let's read uh, the text uh, together. It's not up on the screen, so if you have a Bible, you can follow along or just listen. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 4 to 10. I want to just start reading at uh, chapter 2, verse 1. 1 Peter 2, verse 1. We'll just read to get a little bit of the context. Uh, this is what Peter says. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Uh, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, 
the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's God's word to us this morning. Uh, Like I said, two points for us today. Let's take the, the first point, that God's people are built on Jesus. God's people are built on Jesus. Uh, we see that language in verse 4 and 5. Let me just read it again to remind us. Uh, it says, as you come to him, which who's the him? If you look back in verse 3, the Lord, who we've tasted and seen that he's good, the, the Jesus, as you come to him, Jesus, a living stone who's rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. So as we come to Jesus, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so Peter is basically saying, as you you come to Jesus, you're being built up into this house. He uses this imagery of of stones, that as you come to him, you are living stones, right? And he's kind of drawing on this uh, temple imagery from the Old Testament. Uh, The people of Israel had a, a temple that they had built, and that was a place where God dwelt. They had priests who offered sacrifices at the temple. And, and Peter is saying that it is no longer in a physical temple that God is going to dwell. It is not physical stones that are going to house God, but it is living stones. It's people. You are being built up into be that place where God is going to dwell. God now no longer just dwells in that place, but he dwells with his, his people. And we see this kind of language in uh, the, book of, uh, the letter of Ephesians. Uh, Paul kind of uses this similar metaphor in Ephesians chapter 2. This is what he says. He says, uh, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, uh, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined, and being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we see God, God's people are being built into a house for God. This is where God is going to dwell and, and live. And we see that as we continue on in the passage that Jesus is going to be the cornerstone of this new temple, this, of the living stones. We see in verse 6, uh, Peter says, It stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So he pictures Jesus as the cornerstone, the, the foundation of this structure. Uh, the cornerstones in the ancient Near East uh, were big, huge, massive uh, stones. Uh, when they built the temple, we don't know exactly how big it was. It talks about it being costly uh, to, to get. Uh, but we have other ancient Near East uh, kind of ruins that they found with walls and other monuments similar. And some of these stones, they said, were uh, 12 feet high. And they were, uh, I think, 63 feet by 89 feet massive, massive stones. And so these cornerstones were the thing that they built their entire foundation upon. That's where they set their walls and set their structure. It was the first thing you put down. Uh, But these stones were also super expensive. They were expensive, not just because they were massive and you had to transport them and move them, but because they had to be exact. They had to be precise. Now, other stones in the wall can kind of be cobbled together and it it works, but your cornerstone, you kind of need to make sure that the 90 degree angle is there, that all of the the sides of the the 
rock or flat uh, because it's where you take all of your other measurements for, for the walls and for the foundation. Everything gets drawn from this cornerstone. So you need to make sure it's right because otherwise your wall is going to be like crooked halfway up, right? You need to make sure that the, the cornerstone is, is precise. It's correct. And that's the picture that uh, Peter here is painting of Jesus. He's saying Jesus is not only the firm foundation, but he is the perfect cornerstone. He is precise, exactly how humans are created to be, how God created humans not like we are, which is kind of broken in pieces, pieces chipped off. We, we're not perfect, but he, Jesus is the perfect cornerstone. And it says, too, that whoever believes in this cornerstone will not be put to shame. And so the, the image here is, is kind of the same kind of imagery that uh, uh, Jesus draws on. In the Sermon on the Mount, he gives this illustration. Uh, I'll read it for you, and then hopefully you kind of understand. Uh, Matthew chapter 7. Uh, Jesus says this, he says, uh, anyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell and great was the fall of it. And so the image here is uh, kind of, of an ultimate testing. You have, a, you have a house, you build it on sand, you build it on rock, whatever. It kind of stands, it stays there, but then there's testing that comes. There's an ultimate testing that's going to come to determine whether this foundation that you have built your house on is going to hold it, right? Is it the rock where, you know, the cornerstone, Jesus, where it's going to last, or is it something else? Is it, is it just sand where it is going to be blown away? And he's kind of talking really about the ultimate judgment day. Is, is your life going to stand up when you have to stand before God and give an account for your life of what you've done? Is it, is it, going, to, is it going to hold? Right? That's, that's the question he's asking. And he says there are some who have built their foundation on Jesus, and it will, but others who have not, who will be swept away. And we see that as we continue in the passage in verse uh, 7 and 8. Uh, Peter says, The honor then is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe... The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And so he says, some people have stumbled over this cornerstone. There's a huge cornerstone, but they've, they've stumbled over it. They don't want to actually build this spiritual house on the cornerstone of Jesus. It's the, they have not believed in Jesus. They've rejected the good news, the gospel that Jesus came to save sinners. They said, no, I don't think that I need that, right? And, and the language here is, it's the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So it's kind of saying, the thing that you got rid of is the most important piece. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but me, when I'm building Ikea furniture, sometimes, uh, you know, you get the box home or whatever, you open it up and you start looking through the manual and there's no words, which doesn't make anything easier, right? And so you're trying to figure out the pictures and the screws and is it this one? This one. So you're starting to build the, your furniture and as you build the furniture, uh, you get to a point where you realize uh, there's five screws in the bag and you've only used four. And you're kind of like, hmm, I don't... They probably just gave an extra screw, right? Like, that's, that's probably, they just put extra ones in there. There's not, you know, right? So you're just like, okay, I don't think I need this anymore. It's fine. And you set it to the side, right? And you go on and you're building and you're building. And then you get to the end and you're like, shoot, where's the screw? And you're looking all over your house because your kids have taken it and they run off and they, it's gone. And you're like, no, I need this screw. If I don't have this screw, I cannot finish the piece. And so you're trying to find it. But it's this thing that you have rejected. You didn't think you need it. 
but it's actually the most important piece to finish the furniture. And that's, that's kind of what we see here, is that people have rejected the cornerstone, the most important piece, uh, and this is what happened to Jesus' day. Uh, the Jewish religious leaders of the day, they wanted a relationship with God. They wanted to be a place where they could love God, honor him, serve him, but they didn't think they needed Jesus to do it. Right? They, they thought, hey, you know what? Our lives are pretty good. God has given us some laws. We've added a bunch of our own. We think if we follow these, we can actually do what we need to do. We can actually have a relationship with God. We don't need Jesus to do it. Jesus is carpenter from backwater town, whatever. We don't need this guy to do it. And I think the same is, is true uh, for many today. They would say, I would like to know God. I would like some spiritual connection uh, but I don't know if I need Jesus to do that, right? There, there's, you know, there's other ways to, to do that. There are other ways to connect with God doesn't need to be through Jesus, right? Or perhaps that Jesus maybe is, is, is one of many stones. He's not the cornerstone. He's not the most important. He's just one of many, right? If you're a Muslim, you would say well, Jesus is one of the prophets. He is one of the, the people that God has sent. He's not the cornerstone, not the most important. He's just one of it. Or perhaps you'd say Jesus is just a good teacher. He gives us some good rules of how to live, but there's a lot of other people that give good rules too, give good instructions, good moral advice to help us. So why Jesus? Why does Jesus need to actually be the cornerstone of our life? Well, we need Jesus because we need mercy. Look at verse 10. Uh, Peter describes the people of God this way. Uh, he says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Peter says the defining characteristic of God's people is that they are people who have received mercy. How do you know if you are not God's people or God's people? You're a person who has received mercy. Right? And we need mercy because all of the other foundations, all of the other cornerstones in our life will fail. Right? We, we see that even in this life. There are things that we put our hope and trust in to build our life on, and they fail us. We, we, we put our hope and trust in our finances, our careers. We put our hope in our kids, and they let us down. These things in life let us down. But how much more eternal things? What is the thing eternally that we have our hope set upon? Right? Is it going to be that one day we, we stand before God and we are going to need to give an account of our life and we're going to say, well, I, was, I did more good than bad. I was pretty good. Well, no, none of us can come to a holy, perfect God and say, oh, I'm worthy. I'm worthy to enter into your presence, God. I, I have done enough. I, I have not done anything that is worthy of my punishment. No, we can't. Anything else we try and base our, our foundation on will fail. Uh, it reminds me again of the Lego house from James May. Uh, because as I was uh, watching through the show, uh, see, James at the beginning had this great idea that he would like every single thing in the house to be made out of Lego. And so uh, they began trying to figure out how can we make like Lego studs and beams to support the second story? How can we make sure that the Lego can actually support the weight? And so they began to do testing. He hired this engineering firm to try and figure out how can you make Lego do this? Because Lego is honestly not that strong, right? It's great if you want to build a little Lego toothbrush, but you want to hold weight of a whole house. It's hard. So I think we've got an image here. This is them kind of starting to do some stress testing of the Lego. 
And what, what they found is they, it could hold weight up to a certain point. But after that point, there was nothing they could really do to hold the weight, and eventually the beam would just kind of sag, and then eventually it would crack. And so they couldn't actually build the house entirely out of Lego. Uh, what they had to do was they had to put up wooden frames and wooden subfloor and do all this stuff and have all this wood, and they put the Lego around it. So it looks like it's a Lego house, but really there's another foundation, there's something else that's stronger that's holding it up. And the same is true for us. The other things in our life, they cannot hold us, ultimately. They cannot be the thing that when the ultimate test of God's judgment comes and says, will you, are you worthy, we will crack and fall. Unless there is something else underneath supporting us. Unless we have a strong, firm cornerstone in Jesus. And that's what we have. Is Jesus was perfectly righteous. He was the perfect person, the human being that we all should be. And he, and he said, you know what? I will die in your place. I will take your punishment so that, that you can receive mercy. You can receive forgiveness. And I will uphold you. I will be the firm foundation that you can rest on so that you can enter into paradise. And that is what we are. We as a church are people who need God's mercy every day. Right? Uh, great song that begins, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Right? That, that's what we base our hope on. That's a solid rock in our life is the gospel of Jesus taking our sins, giving us our righteousness. That's our hope, not in what we do. I thought this was really well illustrated. I heard a story of a pastor. Uh, was a faithful pastor. Uh, had served for many, many years. And uh, he was uh, basically at death's door. He's uh, dying on his deathbed. Uh, and a fellow pastor uh, comes to him, wants to encourage him. And basically says, you know what? You, you've done well for the Lord. You've served him faithfully. You know what? Uh, you know what? When you die, you're going to go and receive the fruits of your labor. Uh, and the other pastor who's dying... Uh, kindly said to him, a friend, I don't go to receive the fruits of my labor. I go to receive mercy. See, even this guy knew that, you know, it wasn't all that he did for God that is going to make the difference eternally. He was going to receive mercy from God. And that's, that's true for all of us. We are a people who need mercy. And so I just have uh, some application for us then uh, the question really is, are we built on Jesus? Right? Is that the foundation of our life? Is it the foundation of our relationship with God? Do we, do we simply come to God because of what we've done for him? Or do we, we come to God just simply saying, I, I come only because of Jesus? When we pray, we come in Jesus' name, not knowing that God does not hear us because of any merit in us, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Or is your foundation somewhere else? Is there uh, something else that perhaps, like in Jesus' story, there is a house and your house is, is holding for now. There's maybe cracks you can see in the foundation. Uh, but eventually when the winds and waves come, it will not hold. Have you rejected the cornerstone that God has sent? But also, uh, I think there's some application for us not only individually, but as a church. Uh, you see throughout this whole uh, passage is this kind of communal language of, of you being built up into a spiritual house. Uh, a stone on its own is not a house, right? You need a bunch of stones to make a house. And, and that's the idea here that we as a church are being built up into a place where God dwells. And so I simply ask the question for us as a church, 
Are there things that we as a church are building our foundation on other than Jesus? Right? Is Jesus the reason that we are united? Right? Are, are we building on some other foundation, philosophy, ideology, something else that if, we, if that's the main thing that, of why we are connected, then ultimately it will fail. It will bring division. Or is it, is it Jesus that he has saved us, redeemed us, and given us mercy? And we say, yeah, we're, you're a person of mercy. You're a person who's received mercy. So we are God's people together. Because if we are, then we know that, that just as God made a beautiful temple for Solomon, or that Solomon built, that he will make us, the church, into a beautiful uh, temple that glorifies him. So that's our first point. Uh, that God's people are built on Jesus. Uh, our second point is this, uh, that God's people have a purpose. That God's people have a purpose. Uh, James May did not really have a purpose when he built his Lego house, uh, but God does not build his house for no purpose. He has a purpose, an aim, a goal in mind of why he has created this people, why he has he's given them Jesus. Uh, we see that language really clearly in verse uh, 9. Uh, look with me there. Uh, it says, uh, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions. Why? For what purpose? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the, the purpose of God's people is to proclaim the excellencies of God. To proclaim the excellencies of the one who has saved them, brought them out of darkness into light. Uh, this is the same purpose that God has had from the very beginning with his people, Israel. He saved them, redeemed them out of Egypt, uh, not just for themselves, not because they were great, but to actually make known his name for them to worship him and for all the nations to worship God. Uh, we see God use this language of glorifying himself through his people in Isaiah 43. Uh, God says, I give drink to my chosen people, the people who I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Isaiah 48 uh, says it even clearer. He says, For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. And it, it's in fact that this glory of God is the main purpose of everything that God does. And in fact, we see at the end of time, at the end of history, this is the climax. This is the goal that everything is aiming towards is God's people praising him for all of eternity. Uh, look at Revelation uh, chapter 5. It says this, uh, John speaking of the vision he has of heaven. Uh, John says, I, I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voices of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So this is the main purpose of the church. This is the main purpose of your life. If you are wondering, what is the purpose of my life? It is to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into light. To give God glory and praise. And so we as the church, this is, this is our, our purpose, to proclaim God's glory. Right? Our, our main purpose is not just to gather here on a Sunday morning, have a coffee, enjoy a little encouraging message and some songs. Uh, our, our purpose is not to be in community with each other and care for each other. 
Our, our purpose is not even to uh, care and evangelize for those who don't know Jesus. Our, our purpose is to proclaim the excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness, to, to glorify God. That is our purpose. We exist to make Jesus known, to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus, right? Now, that's why we gather on a Sunday morning to come and sing his praises and to proclaim his excellencies, right? That's why we gather in community and care for each other so we might build each other up and might help each other glorify God more fully. That's why we evangelize those who don't know Jesus so more people would proclaim the glory of God. But those are secondary purposes. The main ultimate purpose is that God's glory would be made known. So you might be saying, though, at this point, God sounds like a little bit of an egomaniac because he just seems concerned with his own glory. He just wants praise. He just wants people to like him. What's with that? Right? We don't like this when we see this in people we know, when they're all, about, they're all consumed with themselves. They just want people to like them and praise them, especially if they try and do good things just so that people will like them. We don't like that kind of thing in people. And is that what we see too in God? Well, we need to understand, firstly, uh, that God uh, getting glory is totally justified because God is actually the most glorious thing in the universe, right? You or I or our dog does not deserve glory because we are not all that glorious, really, right? But God is glorious, and so he does actually deserve all of that glory. It's right that it would be directed to him, not right that it's directed at us, but to him. But even when we know that, we, it kind of doesn't feel loving of God, right? That he is only saving us so that we will praise him, right? It seems like God is not really loving us. He's loving himself. He's, you know, I'll save you, but only because I want you to praise me. It doesn't seem like he's actually really loving us in any way. Uh, but we need to understand that to proclaim God's excellencies is actually the very best thing he could do for us. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, we, uh, I think most of us love to look at the beauty of creation, right? We love uh, to look at a beautiful sunset, uh, a, a great waterfall. We look at the Grand Canyon, these amazing things. We, we like to look at it. We find joy in it. Why? Because those things are excellent. They're glorious. They're great. And it's true. We enjoy looking at them. We stare for hours sometimes because those things are great. And it does bring us that joy and peace. But see, then the greatest thing we can do is spend time looking and admiring and praising the greatest thing that there is, which is God. To, to praise the most excellent thing, not to praise the sunsets, not to praise the waterfalls, those are good, but to praise the most glorious thing. It's going to bring us that greatest joy when we are satisfied, when we see how good, you know, verse 3, when you taste and see that the Lord is good. That is the best thing that can happen to us. So God's glory has, has its climax in it being also our greatest good. Us praising God is the best thing that can happen for us. And so God is loving us in the best way that we can be loved, that he would point us to himself. So uh, we as a people then, our, our job is to not just proclaim a message about God, but to proclaim how great that God truly is is uh, not just the dry facts about God, not just there is a God who has brought us from darkness into light, but to proclaim the excellencies of the God who has brought us from darkness to light, right? To, to, to proclaim the goodness of the good news, 
right? You think about it like a news reporter. Uh, a lot of times when you have a news reporter, uh, they're pretty kind of neutral tone, I guess. Like they just kind of report the news as it is. They're kind of like, and in other news, uh, there was a girl who was rescued from a fiery house the other day. And then you move on, right? That's the news. But what happens if you ask that girl's mom what just happened? She would say, wow, there was a man, and my girl, my girl was trapped inside the building, and he came out. He was so brave, he went in, even though the fire was there, at the risk of his own life. He brought her out. He was a little bit injured, and he was just so kind and caring and courageous. What an awesome guy that would go and save my daughter. The excellencies of the one who has brought you out of darkness into light. So God has saved sinners like us, broken stones, He's brought us out of darkness into a marvelous, marvelous light. And our job is to proclaim how great and marvelous that God who did that truly is. So I want to give us, as we close, uh, three uh, applications, I guess. Three uh, ways that we can proclaim uh, God's excellencies. Uh, The first way that we can proclaim God's excellencies is proclaiming them uh, to God himself. Uh, We praise God. God, that's why we gather here on Sunday morning is not just to hear a sermon, right? But to sing and praises to God of who he is uh, when we pray. Uh, we don't just start by here's our laundry list of things we like God. Uh, no, when we pray, we're, we're going to come on our knees and we're going to say, God, I, I praise you because you are glorious. I praise you because you are the king, because you are magnificent. And we're going to start our, our prayers like that. And not just thanking God for the things he's done, but who God is, the the greatness of his glory. Uh, I see a really great example of that uh, in Psalm 145. Uh, So I just want to read it for you guys. We'll just read eight or nine verses. It's not up on the screen, but just listen. Uh, This is how the psalmist uh, just begins to pour out praise of God to God. Uh, He says this, I will extol you, my God and King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Uh, Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on the wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. We proclaim God's excellencies to God in praise, in prayer, in song. Uh, Secondly, we can proclaim God's excellencies to ourselves. Uh, to ourselves. Uh, I mean, we can do this just simply in reminding ourselves of who God is and his excellencies and his greatness and the joy that we can have in knowing and thinking about that. Uh, But I want to think specifically about that in in relation to our our sin that's in our life. See, we've been brought from darkness to light, and now we continue as people of the light to turn away uh, from darkness. And we do that by turning towards Jesus, but by, by turning ourselves to the excellencies, seeing that he is more excellent than our sin. Let me give you a practical example of what this looks like. Uh, We proclaim God's excellencies when we turn our eyes uh, from that lustful glance because the one who saved us is far more beautiful. We proclaim God's excellencies when we give generously 
to those in need uh, because we don't need our stuff to satisfy us. Because we have a greater and more better possession in Jesus. Uh, We proclaim God's excellencies uh, when we give forgiveness uh, to the one who has hurt us deeply. Uh, Because we love and cherish the forgiveness that we've been given in Christ. Uh, See, we proclaim God's excellencies when we see that sin is not as good as Jesus. Right? When when we say, you know what? I'm willing to turn away from my sin because it's actually not that great. Jesus is better. I, I want to turn there. I want to go to him because this is the thing I would like to look at. This is the thing that I I love and cherish. And so this sin, I will set it aside. It's not just that I need to see how bad my sin is. I need to see how great my Savior is. And that's how we will will, uh, fight against our sin, is by running to Jesus and seeing him. So we proclaim God's excellencies to ourselves. Uh, Lastly, uh, we proclaim God's excellencies uh, to the world. Uh, to the world. Uh, And that is simply uh, by proclaiming who he is to those who have not heard. Uh, Israel was a nation who was there to proclaim God's glory to the nations, that others would look and see, wow, look at Israel's God. Look how great their God is. Uh, And the same is true for us as God's people today, as the church. People should see us, see our lives, and they should see that we are people who are obsessed with the glory of God. And we should want to share that glory with others. We should share the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. Again, not just the news, but the fact that it is good news. That it is glorious news. The excellencies of God who has, has done that for us. Uh, and you might be here and you, that maybe that's really hard to share the gospel. Maybe you've not ever really done that before. Shared what the gospel is with someone. And I would just really encourage you to come to the evangelism training tomorrow night. 6.30. Right? Go home tonight, sign up. Like, this is a chance for you to put into action what you've been longing to do in your heart, right? To say, no, I know God is excellent, and I want others to know, I just don't know how to do that. Come and be, be trained how, to, how you can do that. And for those who are regularly sharing the gospel, remember, it is not just the message, but it is the, the good message, the good news of what Jesus has done. Don't just be obsessed with sharing it, but also remembering it yourself, that this is, in fact, good news I have to share with those around me. Uh, So we proclaim God's excellencies to God, to ourselves, and to the world. Uh, And if you ask, how how do we do this? How do we remember? How can we keep doing this? I think the answer uh, lies back in verse 4. If you look back at verse 4, remember it starts, uh, as you come to him, you are being built up. As you come to Jesus, uh, coming to Jesus, tasting and seeing that he is actually good, seeing the wonder of what he has done in your life and bringing you out of your sin, saying there is no guilt, no condemnation. My hope is built on his righteousness alone. As we love and savor that goodness of Jesus, then we will want to proclaim it to who all will listen. Let me pray. Uh, Jesus, you are uh, more excellent and more wondrous uh, than we know. Uh, We know but a small part of who you are. And that part that you have revealed is uh, so good, yet we forget, and we fall short, and we put our hope in other things. And so I pray today that as we leave from here, that we would want to proclaim your excellencies in all that we do. We proclaim it to you, to ourselves, and to others, 
that all may know that this is the God who has saved us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.